Welcome to a podcast on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Ogren, and this is a podcast where we talk about marketing. The first question, who are you and what do you do? Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. My name is Adam Shaw. I am a B2B demand generation marketer. I've been in marketing for probably a little over eight years now, um, if you count internships back in the day, uh, probably about eight years. So, um, you know, looking forward to uh, chatting on here. Yeah, definitely. What is something right now, probably around marketing, but obviously outside that you're just obsessed with, you're kind of geeking out about, you can't stop talking about it, looking it up, reading about it. Is there anything currently on your obsessed list? I'll give you, I'll give you two answers. Um, one, not marketing and one marketing. Not marketing is is wine. Um, I'm a huge wine guy. I got into it, started getting into it about a few months ago. I'm, I, got, I took my certification tests to become a sommelier um, on Monday. So we'll see how that goes when I get the test wow. scores back. But nonstop, just absolutely obsessed, which is totally antithetical to my other hobby, which is triathlons. So it's hard <laughs> to go to a wine tasting and then wake up in the morning and spend two hours on the bike. But it is what it is. So. Um, and then on the marketing side, yeah. So what I'm obsessed right now with is is community development. Um, it's a spot that it's really it's new, right? Like three years ago, there weren't all these like Slack groups out there or like Discord servers for professionals to sit there and just kind of like talk about, you know, what's going on. Um, so I'm really focused right now on learning more about that. How do we drive traffic to those? How do we make it a quality space for people to hang out? Um, you know, there's these places like Demand Curve and like Rev Genius, things like that are doing a great job. Um, and I think there's a lot of areas where, you know, you can we can even niche down further and get a really great group of a thousand, two thousand people on a on a really cool community. So when you say like it's recent, you know, three years you've kind of been seeing this, you're speaking more or less digital because you know obviously communities and group setups meetups or whatever have been around for a long time it's just now you're starting to see this come on to the the digital or being used more or less in a marketing strategy is that what you mean with like recently three years yeah exactly so of course yeah like community obviously to some degree has been around forever um but in a marketing (laughs) sense right so if you take you know we can get into this but if you take what i call the x factor which is um how I plan out most of my marketing initiatives is if my audience understands or experiences X, they're more likely to purchase my product or service. Um, and sometimes the best way to educate the people that you're trying to reach is, is within a community of people that maybe know that thing, right? So if I'm selling widgets and I create a widget community specifically designed to talk about the widgets themselves, things that you can use widgets with, um, you know, how other people are using the widgets, uh, that that's a great way to educate the buyer and it's not salesy, right? Because nobody wants to be sale, sold to anymore. Um, you know, mm-hmm. years ago, you used to be able to cold message somebody on LinkedIn and get a sale. You can't do that anymore, right? It's all like this peer-to-peer stuff. Um, and that's kind of where we're moving, I think, especially in the B2B space where I live in. It's, right, it's, you know, you're talking ten to twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month services, sometimes up to a hundred thousand, depending upon what kind of product you have. Um, that's that's something where you need to be part of a community to lean on to make it to understand if you actually want to purchase this product or not. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm def I'm also big on to the community. I follow a guy named Rob Fitzpatrick. He wrote a book called The Mom Test how to write uh, nonfiction or another book. Um, but he really is big on this new kind of community, but this outcome orientated community that you're helping your community towards an outcome. Obviously for him, it's to write a book and you have all these kind of points within that community where you have quote unquote upsells. Cause most of the time, if you think about just like entrepreneurs or kind of like 
people, they'll have this like ladder where it's like, I have a free thing. Then I get them up to the next one and I get them up to the next. And it's that way where he said, that's very kind of like creator orientated where it's not really like you're trying to push the customer or the audience member up rather than having this outcome orientated where it's like, it'll be free community. You can learn, you can talk, but there'll be these points where you might need help to gain that outcome, which is, you know, private calls or whatever. Um, so that's a little bit different than for B2B side, but I also see there, you know, it's any of the communities I think you're talking about, they're all outcome oriented. We're helping become better marketers. We're trying to use the widget better. We're trying to run a triathlon, whatever that is outcome is and this is why i'm in this community so i think that's key which you kind of touch on the x factor which i want to also touch on later um but having that to understand like what is the thing that they're trying to learn or the outcome they're trying to achieve so yeah i think if you look at if you look at who owns these communities they oftentimes are some sort of service provider or product like it's rarely actually somebody just like oh i want to do a cool community um yeah however how they moderate and build that community out can make it good or bad right i mean you can you can have a, a benevolent group of people that are being driven by a company and you can have people who are just there to sales. And then suddenly every day there's like a huge sales pitch in there. You know, I mean like I'm in the demand curve one, um, which maybe you are involved in or some of your listeners are, but it's a, it's a great community. And I don't, I'm not sure who owns that. I think that might be an independently owned one, but you know, people go on there, they talk and they say, Hey, you know, I need a recommendation on X, Y, and Z. And you might go in there and say, Oh, here's my, here's my idea of X, Y, and Z that I've done in the past. And then they might go, great. Can you help me out in a more official capacity? Or do you know who can help me out with that? And, you know, you might, if you're somebody who's selling a, a product that helps marketers, you know, that's a great place to be as long as you're doing it right. And not being salesy, you actually want to have to go and want to help people. And then if you get a sale of it, great. If not, that's fine. You have an incredible network. And maybe all these people that you're talking to, one of them gets asked, who would you go to do this? And they say, you know, I'd go to Adam because he talks about it all the time. And in the community and uh, I haven't used them, but it seems like that person might be good for, for what you're looking for. Yeah, definitely. It's a way to uh, increase word of mouth digitally rather than just like post on social media about your product. You're actually having conversations and you interject it, like you said, organically or naturally when it fits. Like if somebody's actually asking, hey, I need a research or SEO tool. Oh, great. You know, I have uh, three options and one of those options is obviously my company. So Right. That's that's a really good point. So to to go back to the basics of marketing, how do you define marketing? Like what is it for? Yeah, so marketing should be a way to inform people of your product or service to, in a way that makes them want to purchase or be involved with your product or service. Um that's like super boiled down and the way you do that sounds nothing like the actual you know definition of marketing, but that's that's it in the in a nutshell. So it's, it's get, awareness is kind of the main, the main driver, obviously, uh, to your definition. So then when you look at marketing, whether it's your own uh, companies or your own marketing you're putting out or other marketing out in the world, how do you define or create the dichotomy between good marketing and bad marketing? You can obviously rebuttal this and say it's just in the eyes of the perceiver, uh, good and bad are just words we made up. But if you had to kind of say, hey, that's good, that's bad, what are your parameters for kind of deciding or thinking about that uh revenue generated by marketing activities <clears throat> right so it's really hard to answer that question right if you're selling socks good marketing is a ton of display ads and retargeting right like if it's just they're ten dollars boom drop shipped you get them in a month or whatever like that's what it is or overnight shipping, whatever it might be um 
because that's not a high consideration product, right? So it's just like, these are great comfy socks and it's like everybody buys socks. So it's like, okay, sounds like the the two sentence copy on that ad told me that these are the comfiest socks in the world. I'm going to go on there and buy them. They're 10 bucks, whatever. Um, if you're selling diamond rings or you're selling cars or you're selling incredibly like robust enterprise software, which is like the space I'm in, good marketing, nobody's going to purchase those things off a retargeting ad, right? Like nobody's going to be like, oh, you know what? My company definitely needs to spend $1.2 million this year on that solution. I'm going to buy that now. Like that's just not, that's not how that works. So in that situation, good marketing is community and it's, and it's building, you know, this kind of, I don't think, I think people are calling it dark funnel a lot now, right? Like building this, this movement towards your product, especially if, if it's a couple hundred thousand dollars a month or even a year, like that's the type of product where like there needs to be an actual market push towards it. Like, and if you're, close to early to market on a very expensive product, you aren't just saying like, we're another solution provider for this. You actually have to let people know that there's a solution to this problem. And maybe it's a problem that people didn't even realize they had, right? Like, you know, people have been doing marketing maybe the same way in the B2B space for 20 years, right? It was, here's the brand, buy it. Um, and I see a lot of agencies and, and folks coming up with these different dark funnel ideas, which are fantastic. And, you know, something I've been doing for a long time. And they're like, whoa, by the way, you, you think you're doing good, you could be doing way, way better with this. So they had to define the problem before even offering this solution. And that takes years. Like, you know, look at the folks over at Refine Labs and like Chris Walker and them. Like he's been talking about it for years. And over the past year or so, talking to some other people there, I mean, they've the, the size of their company has grown massively. Their revenues through the roof. And it just took a long time, right? Uh, to to get people to really understand that, hey, A, there's a problem and we're the first to market with that solution. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of marketing breaks down is they don't have the patience or the willingness to continually um, define, not define the problem because you do that one time, but continually preach around that problem. And then also, obviously, what's the promised land? What's the solution? What's a better way for B2B marketers in that example or whatever you're kind of, what's a better way and really evangelizing that. And sometimes, you know, getting a lot of pushback or people saying like, you know, there's just inertia to stay in the old way because it's easier. We don't want to change the way that sales reps are uh, monitored, just going, you know, using the refined lab example. So there's a lot of pushback to just stay in the old way. So I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good way to break it down. It's really different depending on consideration, a sock versus, you know, software or um, large kind of consulting package. It's going to look a lot different. Yeah. I mean, I've been in the direct, one, one thing I just want to add to that is I've been in the direct to consumer space, right? Like twenty nine ninety nine, call now, or go to the website, use the code. And, you know, it was a formula. It was literally like, you know, on average, you need to touch people, you know, whatever it was like, depending upon price point, it ended up being like 20 to 30 times before they bought your product at twenty nine ninety nine or thirty nine ninety nine, whatever it was. And, um, you know, that was it. It was like, okay, frequency, frequency, frequency. Like we just bought a bunch of late night TV. We bought a bunch of connected TV when that started becoming a really popular podcast ads. It's just volume. And it's how many times you touch that person. Can we reduce that by 10%? Could we reduce the cost on that by 10%? Um, and in B2B, it's not, you know, any really large sales, not how many times you touch them. It's like the quality of the touches, right? Which I think is where, you know, we're starting to catch, there's starting to be a catch up and they're saying, okay, we actually have to have good content here. Hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think of that of of kind of maybe the switch and a focus on quantity to quality. It's not about how many touches, it's about having those. So which for me, it really uh, makes a point of really thinking through that problem or thinking through the solution of how the messaging around it and all that, because you might 
uh, not get many opportunities or not many opportunities, but you don't want to, you know, focus on the quantity game rather than like you're saying, focus really on the quality, having a concise message, having a very compelling story that uh, pulls me in. Yeah, that's good. What is a strong belief you have about marketing? What's a hill in marketing that you're willing to die on? Yeah, I think the coming off what you said, quality content now, especially in my space, um, you know, in, in, in the B2B and large ticket item realm, uh, it's just got to be really, really good content. I actually posted today on LinkedIn about this and it was, if you aren't willing to put in, and I'm a paid media guy, my background's all in paid media and I'm like the anti-paid media, paid media guy, uh, I think in this space, maybe one of the few. And it's don't do paid media if you don't have good content, right? So, so people get kind of, confused about and I wouldn't say marketers get confused about this, but leadership, like the board members, the C-suite folks get confused about this. They think, great, paid media, that's a switch. Uh, I'm going to spend 100 campaign media this month. And I'm going to spend $2,000 on an ad. Like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That, how about we spend $20,000 on the ad and $80,000 on the paid media and create an absolutely unbelievably compelling video or blog, you know, series that we can promote. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing right now is people need to get better at doing good content. And remember that paid media isn't a switch, it's a channel. You wouldn't put trash content on your organic social and think it's going to do really well. Um, but for some reason, people think, oh, there's money behind it. So having like bad content is fine because it's just traffic, right? Well, no, uh, there's a lot of people out there that just click on stuff, right? Like the, <laughs> the people who like good quality content, the people who are going to convert to sales, they don't just click on stuff. They have their, their time is really valuable. Like they're not going to sit there and, and read a, a, you know, a, a long blog post if it's just off like horribly written because you paid somebody on five or 10 bucks to, to write it. Hmm. So when you say content, you're really just speaking about more or less, what is that paid ad? Like if it's a picture, a video, like you're talking about kind of if a paid ad, what's inside that kind of container, you're saying you need that to be high quality. You can't just throw money at pushing out kind of a bad. So it's almost like the creative, um, if you want to use that or because you think about an ad, like it's really just copy and creative. There's writing and there's something, a blog yeah, post um, behind it too, right? Like if it's a blog post, one thing like think about this in this way, like think about, I don't know if you use TikTok, but on TikTok, for instance, the the way that they present their ads is like way more native now. I think maybe a month ago, it's almost it's it's basically impossible to tell if you're watching an ad or an organically created like user generated content. Um, and so you wouldn't in that situation, and same with LinkedIn, right? Like LinkedIn ads are actually pretty tough to to, to notice that their ads. It says promoted, but it's it's not particularly easy to tell, especially if you have good content. And what's going to stop people from scrolling on a paid ad nowadays because they look exactly the same as your organic post is the same stuff that's going to people stop people from scrolling in an organic post. Really cool, something that's really catching your eye. Um, that's got to be interesting. It, it's just it's, it, the game has been changed with these different platforms, basically saying our paid stuff is going to look exactly like our organic stuff. Um, you know, that being said, paid media is it basically should be used as a way to get organic content that's working really good for you in front of people who you're not able to reach organically, right? I have good content. I know it. I can't reach audience X over there who I know is a great audience for me. So I'll do a targeted ad to them. And that targeted ad is just this fantastic piece of content that did really well with the people who are already following me. 
So it's like paid to organic is kind of the play. Uh, you use paid to draw to organic content in that sense, which is definitely for high consideration. Smart. You're selling socks. I don't know how effective that strategy is of this blog post of how to put your socks on. Um, no, yeah, that's good. That's good. And I think to your point, even like a newsletter is like Daily Brew, just as an example, they do a very good job of doing the same thing where you don't really know it's an ad until like you catch the sponsor by underneath or whatever. So it's really like they're competing against all content. It's not just paid versus paid now of like we need to be better than the other ads. It's like you need to be better than organic content, which for some people is, is very high quality. Um, so yeah, yeah and, nat- that- and native ads have been around for a long time on these platforms. Like, um, yeah, you've been able to purchase basically articles, which are, you know, basically native ads on, you know, various, um, usually publisher websites, but now you're really trying to emulate that in social and, and in paid in, in more traditional paid areas like, like social and, and, um, and video on YouTube and things like that, where in the past, like just dropping a, a static ad for brand awareness into LinkedIn, like it used to work and you might be able to get a good couple of conversions off. It just doesn't work anymore. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's either evolved or it's just changed. So you have to have to bring something different to the table. Definitely agree. What is something that you disagree with other marketers on? It could be a majority or just some that you kind of you think X and they they really struggle to agree with your point of view. I think one of the biggest things that people tend to disagree on, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's actually other marketers or it's just that the influence of of having a sales team usually sit for some in some degree above marketing because it's like the end result is, is a sale. But um, usually it's the metrics that are being measured for, for success. Um, you, you hear it a lot where it's like, you really do have to have like that aligned revenue team. Um, and that's not just like people saying it because it sounds good. It's, it's true. Like if, if marketing and sales are, are aligned to the same um, outcomes, you're going to be in a good spot. But some marketers are like, why? It's super easy. I'm going to look really good if I drive a bunch of leads. It's like, okay, great. You got your bonus, but the leads are trash and the revenue didn't go up. Um, marketing succeeded. Sales failed. Like That's not really true. Marketing failed and then sales failed because of that. And so if everybody's aligned to like revenue numbers. It starts to make a lot more sense and say, okay, you know, instead of driving 10,000 leads, let's try 5,000 leads and make them three times as valuable leads. Um, you know, so change, change, change the bonus structure, change the compensation structure to bring revenue and marketing and sales all in one go. And so I guess to sum that up, it's usually going to be the uh, metrics people are going for that I'm going to disagree with most of the time. So um, and I'm not going to say a specific metric. It just leads tends to be like the one that comes out a lot, but other people are, you know, measured on traffic things like that. And they may be successful at driving traffic, but unsuccessful in the ultimate business goal. So to get maybe more specific for me, as I haven't worked in a ton of organizations with, you know, huge sales teams. So it's, I've never had this kind of push and pull. I've, I've seen the debates and I've heard and read about them, but like, what is then a metric that you can use that that aligns marketing and sales. You said kind of lower the the leads, but obviously that's because of some metric we're trying to hit. What are a metric or some metrics that more are revenue aligned than just either or aligned? Yeah, so speed to close is really good. Um, so you know if you're seeing that you know you come into an organization as a new marketing leader and you're seeing it's taking on average three months to close a deal, um, you know one way to measure your success there that will probably increase your outcome in the future is is getting that down to like you know 
two months, one month, you know, that's going to be huge. First of all, it's going to mean that your salespeople can handle a lot more volume. So, um, you know, compensation, you know, that line item will go down because if one salesperson goes from being able to handle a half million dollars sales a year to be able to handle $1.5 million a year, you know, you're going to save a lot of money there. Um, another really great metric is, um, just going to be straight up re like revenue driven, um, you know, through sales act or through, through activities. One that I really like recently is kind of the, um, um, trying to, trying to talk, work with sales to, to put together data on what's oftentimes being asked. So if almost every single lead is asking the same question, that's a marketing problem because, why aren't we using that in marketing that that's how you decrease the speed to close is to say like, all right, um, everybody is asking about, you know, this specific feature because they don't understand it. And it took me a week to get on a call with them to understand it. If I did in my marketing material, if I had talked about that and educated the community on that, that's a week you'd have chopped off of the sales cycle. Um, you know, so those kind of things are interesting. Align yourself on mitigating those types of metrics of repeated questions and sales because marketing is to some degree sales at scale and you can answer those questions early. I like that. The uh, kind of speed to close is a very interesting one that obviously if you're getting more kind of you're doing what you're just talking about, you're answering those questions. They don't need as long of a cycle or they're just higher intent, higher quality, um, which, yeah, no, that's really good. And almost at the core of what you're saying is just the fact of having sales and marketing in the same boat rather than two boats. Um, thinking they're pulling in similar directions, but they're really just incentivized even differently. So they might be pulling in somewhat opposite directions because like you said, I think that's a very great exercise is talk to sales team. What are questions that you're continually getting? And if you keep seeing these same questions and you're right, like there's something or we need to add a section or we need to write more better a section that like we already have that just isn't getting across. That's really good. What is something in marketing that you failed in or a mistake you made, whether it was recently, years ago, that kind of like now you're not maybe thankful for it, but you're like, hey, that was good because it helped me get to where I am now? Yeah, um, like I had a really hard, it's, it doesn't come naturally to me, it's attention to detail. Um, it's something that's like critical in marketing. It's something that doesn't come naturally to me. Um, and I've, you know, I've been fired before because of my lack of attention to detail. It happened once and that was like a changing point in my life. And I think it, some of it may come from early on in my career. That's like starting out as a strategist. So generally always looking at that 10,000 foot view. So I never really got that like granularity um, that I needed to understand like, okay, the details point. And then when I got into it later in my career, um, you know, four years into my career, five years into my career, I was missing that and, you know, mistakes came up because of it. So attention to detail, especially like anybody who's listening to this early in their career, who's in a strategist position, get into the platforms, have your media buyers and your analysts walk you through what's going on, understand where the details live because you're going to learn and one day you might have to get in there and do it yourself. And you're also going to be able to learn how to catch other people's mistakes because no matter how good everybody is, there's always going to be a mistake. But if everybody's really conscious of the details, um, somebody will catch it. You know, you're a team. So, uh, you know, that, that's super important. Hmm. That's a, that's an interesting one you pull out because just my natural kind of style is not detail orientated. I'm I'm similar to you kind of enjoy or maybe not similar to you, but I enjoy that ten thousand foot view. I like looking at the entire picture rather than getting in the nitty gritty kind of details. Running Excel sheets is I don't even know how to use Excel past the basic capabilities. So I think 
as you're saying that I'm almost, I'm almost like differentiating there's details of like just someone who is inherently detail oriented or someone who's not and kind of making sure you're, you're focusing on the details. So you don't send out an email to the wrong list or you don't do some things, but there's also inherent in what you're saying is just understand the basics. Don't stay at 10,000 feet. So you don't know really what the process is of how content gets created. You create the strategy, but also understand, okay, we have to record on this day. Like what is all these? And I think when you outsource, you get people on your team that can do those things. And Gary Vee, as much as I don't enjoy his content, I've gotten some bits of from him of like, you need to understand things before you outsource them. So you actually know effective or not. And I think that's another side of what you're saying is actually understanding some of these things. So then you know, if you know, you do get to that strategist or more of a manager, like role, what is success and what is not and how can you help influence? So that's, it's interesting. I just, as I said, I'm not someone who's detail oriented and I've definitely had moments where that could have uh, ended my uh, journey with the company I'm at. But yeah. And you know, know, like the way I fix it is I just like started. So I got into data science, right? I became an Excel power user. Like now I'm very good at Excel. So like if somebody sends me something and I am questioning the data that like 10,000 foot view of the data on the pivot table, or whatever, um, I'll just do it myself and say, Oh, okay. Like, that's like if it's something just way standing out, I'll just do it myself and kind of just double check to make sure like, okay, I didn't expect that outcome. So like, let's just see. That's not to say I don't trust the person who who did it. Right. I just need like sometimes just that that's nuts. Right. Like scientific communities run the same experiment hundreds and hundreds of times sometimes before they even thousands before they publish a paper. Right. It's the same idea. It's not lack of trust. It's like I want to know the details. I need to understand why this is happening. And sometimes you, you really like, can't do that unless you can get in there in Excel and play with that, especially when you start getting like 10,000, 100,000 lines of data, um, you know, being a power user in Excel or even just like SQL or any sort of like coding, uh, like very light data, um, you know, parsing language is going to be really, really useful. And it forces you to get good at tensor detail because it'll just, you know, you'll end up breaking whatever it is that you're building out. Um, if you don't have that tensor detail, it's forcing it, right? Sometimes you just gotta, yeah, if you're bad at something, so you just gotta, you know, bluntly force it on. Like I do triathlons awful runner. I swam in college. I'm not, I'm not a land creature. So I decided I'm just going to run, you know, 60 miles, 70 miles a week until I'm an okay runner. And you know, I'm getting there now. <laughs> just blunt, blunt force. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I see. I mean, even through what you're saying, I, I don't know if I'll ever uh, become an Excel expert, but cause I, I firmly believe there's, there's this hard kind of paradox of doubling down on your strengths or kind of becoming average because you're working so much on your weaknesses where like for you, it's like, yeah, you're doing triathlons. That probably is great. It's actually probably more healthy for you. But like, if you really want to be good at swimming, most likely you just continually hone in on that and maybe do some weightlifting or other things, but like running or doing some of these things, just let them be weaknesses. So I think as like a young marketer, it's probably good to do what you're saying. It's good to expand yourself and learn all these things. But sooner or later, um, I don't know the T shape or whatever, you want to go down on one of those channels and say, okay, Excel, like I get it. And I have some basic ability, but like, I'm just not data driven. Um, but that's if you believe people have inherent styles or, you know, some people don't believe that they believe everybody can just shift shape shift to whatever. I'm not in that crowd, but I think both of them have some valid uh, points to kind of personality isn't permanent or whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a really good yeah, point no. about the not being able to, to do it all, which is like totally good. If any hiring managers are watching this, I'm looking directly into the camera into your eyes right now. Do not hire a marketer to do everything. <laughs> okay, hire a marketer who's really good at something and double down whatever that thing is that he's really good at. If you hire somebody who's an incredible HubSpot marketing operations person, 
double down on your list. If you hire somebody who's a really good paid media expert, double down on paid media content. Same thing. Don't hire one guy to write the content, <laughs> do the paid media and organize your house spot. It ain't going to work. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm definitely in, I was in a specialist role, but it was definitely more generalist, just doing all sorts of things. Great early in my career, but totally agree with you. You got to get more specific when you're hiring if you want um, good results. Now, let's let's talk touch on demand generation. It seems that that's kind of heavy in your background. And for me, that's uh, something I don't know a ton about. What was true with demand generation that is no longer true today over uh, the years? Yeah, so, demand, so if you think of, um, I'll go like really far back before I started, but IBM used to have this ad campaign. It was called, uh, it went, nobody was ever fired for buying IBM. And this was in like the 80s, right? When com- when computing and like maybe in the 70s too. And it was basically to get people to not buy Apple and not buy all these other newer companies that were coming out. And it was literally like, that's what domain used to just be like, hey, buy this thing. Like, come and buy my stuff. Here's what it is. And it's just not anymore, right? Like we've talked about this community thing and like how you know everybody's leaning on each other. Because even like 10 or 15 years ago, it was still kind of difficult to go out into this global community and be like, Hey, thousands of people all at once. What do you think of this product? What do you think I should use? Right. It was in the past, it was calling up your other five or six buddies that work in the same industry in your same city and say, Hey, what kind of computers are you guys using? Which ones do you recommend? And, oh, the ads told me to keep buying IBM. So we keep buying IBM. Like that you can't do anymore. Apple is a community slash cult, um, which I'm happily part of um you know so they kind of did that that whole thing um they cornered a market of a certain community and it's obviously that that corner is 50 percent of the entire planet you know so i think that's kind of where demand gen has gone it's a lot more peer oriented and it's a lot less brand um and i guess just blunt force oriented if that makes sense yeah. And even just something that popped out to me is like for IBM, it was most likely IBM saying that. I mean, there could have been people from IBM posting about it or, but like nowadays it seems much more driven by people, peers, you said of like refined labs. I don't know. Like, I don't think I follow their content per se, but I follow, you know, Miles Matt and Chris, all these people part of it. And I think that's a, a big change maybe, or just in marketing in general, as people are driving more of the uh, kind of the, content or the movement rather than companies. Absolutely. So, so to, to touch on when you first started, so the X factor, like just define that for me. I know you kind of did at the start, but define it again. And like, why is it so important? Yeah. So I don't remember where I first heard it. Um, it was within the last couple of years that I started using this. Um, it wasn't, it's not an original idea, um, but I just kind of use it. I've, the formula I do after it maybe is original. I don't know. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so the X factor is if, my community or audience understands X, they'll be more likely to buy my product or service. Um, and that X factor is your marketing, in my opinion, is going to be your probably going to be your marketing goal. You can have multiple X factors, by the way, um, because you might have multiple audiences. Um, you might have multiple products or services. Um, even within your product or service, you might have different buying needs. Um, so definitely okay to have multiple X factors. And then, you know, you take that. So that's your ultimate marketing goal. From there, you know, taking that goal, strategies, tactics, resources that a lot of people tend to use as like a, a framework, then you get into a strategy. All right. How am I going to communicate this to them? Organic, social, paid media, community. All right, cool. Um, after that, what are the tactics on paid media? Um, you know, if it sucks, you know, you are going to do a lot of display. You're going to do maybe a lot of affiliate marketing with 
sock fans or sock influencers. I don't know if those exist. Um, whatever it might be, community, you know, you're going to set up a Discord channel, talk about socks. You know, you're going to have maybe sock NFTs that people can like sell to each other, whatever, kind of different fun things like that. Um, and that's your tactics on the resource side is resourcing. How much is going to cost to do that? What do you need? Human tech, whatever. Um, so it's really just a different way to look at it. And it contextualizes it usually for business leaders is when they have a hard time really understanding how to create a marketing goal. It's like, all right, what makes people want to buy your product? That's your X factor. And I think I know the answer, but how do you find out that X factor? Because I'm guessing it's not best to just think in a boardroom like, oh, I think the X factor is this. How do you find that X factor or get a better X factor? Yep. So it depends upon the stage of your business. If you haven't sold anything yet, then maybe you do ask um, the board member if you are like, or the CEO or whatever, whoever started because they had the vision, right? Maybe they, especially if they're the type of, CEO or founder who started a company to fix their own problem. Um, they're probably going to be good to know at least the first step. If you're kind of developing this when you already have a big you know, following, just, like just ask, right? Your customers, you know, you don't have to be sneaky around this kind of stuff. Throw up a flag on, on Facebook, wherever your people at Facebook, LinkedIn, in a company Slack or in a community Slack channel, discord, whatever, and just be like, Hey guys, what, what is it that's, that made, that made you want to, buy our product. Um, even just self, you know, asking, asking the question on a form online and somebody wants to talk to a sales rep or if they're about to buy, what made you buy the product? Um, and that's, that's your answer. And just keep developing that and iterating on that and continue that open dialogue with your customers and buyers in your community, um, because it'll change over time. Highly likely it'll change over time. So that just being open about asking those questions and not being like, Oh, I need to like secretly ask or something. I, I think for some reason people in marketing think they had to be like, cute and silly about this stuff you really don't like people just want to be talked to you know nobody wants to be sold <laughs> to nobody wants to feel duped just ask right yeah yeah human to human right yeah i find that's a con consistent theme through these conversations i've had now is just talking to customers and and kind of the like things that get in the way are very silly or why we don't because obviously if everybody is talking to customers uh there'd be a lot better marketing out there there you know just be but I, I feel like there's a struggle sometimes where we, you know, only talk to a subset of them and we don't, like you're saying, go out of our way maybe to really just directly ask someone like, hey, what was what was the things you had to learn or understand before you purchased us uh, rather than just kind of having one off conversations and not branching out to different different people. Yeah, I know. That's good. And thank, thank you for elaborating. That X factor is very interesting. I think I maybe used it, but never called it that of like, what do you know, what's X factor? Maybe just thought of like, what, what things would make them more likely to purchase in that kind of terminology? Yeah, so, I think it's just it's an easier way to contextualize. Again, it's just an easier way to contextualize it to your to your your bosses, your non marketing executive, <laughs> right is because sometimes I ask them like, okay, so what would you talk about to get people interested in your product? And another way to ask it is like that. And that changes the I think they get when when you ask them specifically, what does your audience or like whatever, they get too caught in the weeds. They're like, oh, well, there's this, this, this. And it's like, OK, just pretend you're having a conversation with somebody um, and you want to convince them to buy your product without selling your product. What would you say? Hmm. Yeah, no, I like that. And I think as marketers, sometimes we struggle to communicate to non-marketers or have, you know, frameworks. So I really think they're important. One thing that I find with personal uh, brands or just people, maybe not as much for companies, but commenting on social media is very critical to either growing a following or just getting people to give a shit about you. What is some tips or ways someone can go about upgrading their commenting game? Yeah, so... 
actually I had somebody just asked me this out at dinner with, my, with a really good buddy of mine the other day, and he has been trying to get better at um, the personal branding. He's been posting for like a month and hasn't gotten anywhere. And I was like, all right, so what else are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm posting. I'm liking other people's stuff. And like, okay, that's not enough. So and even just commenting on people's posts isn't enough. So what I do at as I, I take a lot of time every day, probably half hour um, a day, and I comment on other people's comments on posts and have one-to-one conversations, as many of them as I can every single day. Um, that has been awesome. It's really cool. Um, I oftentimes find that I'd say probably 50% of the people that I comment on will either follow me or just shoot me a DM or just I'll start seeing them on my posts more often, just like liking or even commenting. So that's interesting because now it, uh, that's especially when you are, because I like the idea of like infiltrating for lack of a better phrase um, into other like influencers in your space. Like that person's talking to the same person I'm talking people that I want to talk to. They've got 400 comments on their post, right? By the time you notice it, what's like, nobody's going to notice your one comment. So go and talk to each individual that you would love to have talked to you or have liked your comment or, or, or whatever it might be. And be tip number two, I guess not is be super genuine. I posted a, I posted a, a LinkedIn post about this a while ago and I'll have to dig it up and maybe like share it again. Cause I think it's, it just becomes more and more apparent almost like every month as this like whole LinkedIn thing just gets so much bigger for everybody else is if your comment is less than eight to 10 words, don't post it <laughs> like, Oh yeah, this is great. Is not a meaningful comment. That person is not going to care. You know, they're just going to go back like it and they're not going to follow you. Like, B, you know, if it means less volume to make a much better comment and create a one-on-one -on -one relationship, do that. Like write legitimate things. Like I've gotten to the point now where like almost all of my comments that I make, I could turn into the post by themselves. And I do that sometimes. Um, and so that's, that's, a, that's a big tip. So comment on other people's comments and make sure your comments are thoughtful and actually contribute to a conversation and not just like, yay, or thumbs up, you know, that's, that's not enough. <laughs> Yeah, right. Thanks for commenting or something like that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, no, that's good. That's some good stuff. I've never really thought about the commenting on comments. That's a, it's mm -hmm. a interesting uh, tip. A final question before I get into the three final questions is what or is there anything you learned being an assistant aquatics coach for Kentucky Aquatics <laughs> that you apply to your marketing today? Is there anything that comes to your mind of like, I learned this doing or coaching and now like I apply it to my marketing? Yeah, um, motivating people to be the best person they can possibly be. Um, when I was the assistant, whatever I was, head coach or something, uh, it was a while ago. I honestly don't remember. Um, by the way, awesome experience. Um, the guy who was the head coach to this day, still really good friends. Um, so, yeah, if you ever have the chance to coach a team of kids, it was awesome. Uh, but yeah, getting getting people to get excited about something that maybe they aren't necessarily excited about. One thing that you that that you encounter probably in all sports, but it seems like swimming, it's like rampant is that about 75% of the kids are there because of their parents, they don't actually want to be there. So how do you get somebody to do something and be excited about something they don't really like? Um, and that's critical in work because, you know, a large portion of your work, I don't want to say it's a majority. I mean, for some people, it is a majority is like, it's gonna be work you don't like, right? You know, I love strategy, building out really cool plans, implementing those at a high level. I don't like doing design work. I don't like, cause I'm bad at it. <laughs> I don't like getting like super in the weeds on stuff, um, but I have to do it. I don't know. I end up getting out a lot when I get into it, but just doing it itself is kind of like, you know, 
annoying. So like, okay, how do I get myself motivated to do it? How do I, and then how do I do that for other people? That's, that's unique. Yeah. Someone else uh, that I recorded with coach, I don't remember if it was soccer or some sort and kind of similar lessons that you kind of brought out is getting people excited or wanting to do the thing, which is really a lot of marketing, especially if you don't have some like fun, uh, cool product, it's like some analytical tool or something. It's like, how do we get people excited about this? That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. The final three questions here. Uh, the first two will be on marketing. Last one will be a little bit off. So the first question is, what is one thing you've changed your mind on in regards to marketing in the past two, three, four, five years? Yeah. So the thing that the content quality, right, um, is something I've changed my mind on. In the past, it used to be like, how can we get as many eyes as humanly possible? And I was all on board with that. Um, and I think basically at the start of the pandemic is when that started to go away because people were used like there's so many people online, you know, the, just the amount of eyes you're getting in front of was huge. And the amount of people advertising to these eyes was growing. Um, so the only way to stand out was content. You can just have good targeting anymore. So I've changed my mind of that over the past few years of this, just like content first, every place I've gone where I've, um, you know, had a head of content role or head of gen demand generation role, or just some sort of leadership role. My first hire is head of content to help me. Um, because I'm not a content writer or a designer or anything like that. And I know that's a weakness of mine. So that's always my first hire. In the past, it wouldn't have been. It would have been like a paid media specialist or a marketing operations person. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting too, that COVID um, probably, like you said, you know, put a lot of people more inside. So they're flicking through their phone. So it, yeah, it really changed a lot. Um, and I, my, my takeaway is similar too in my short four years is that I used to follow Gary Vee very heavily and he, you know, put a hundred pieces of content out a day and it's just like, it just doesn't work for most organizations. Um, it, you know, feels good and we can say we did something, but I think to your point, it's more about quality. It's really understanding the audience and making quality pieces for them when you're not running paid. This is just organic. So that's good. Now there's a movie and whether you watch it or not, I'll give you a quick synopsis called Inception. Inception is where they pretty much go in people's dreams and they incept an idea. So if you could incept one idea in the mind of every marketer, so tomorrow they wake up and they believe it and they just think it's their own idea. What is that idea? Constantly be talking to your customers and your community. Boom. Simple as that, but uh, for some reason, quite complex. I like that one. Final question, what is one thing, and I think you probably alluded to it, uh, but what is one thing you do outside of business marketing that allows you to come back to business and marketing and do it better? So I go for long walks, and then when I come to write, I can write better. What is that for you? So to be really good at anything, you have to be able to 100% focus on what you're doing in the moment. Work 9 to 5, put absolutely 100% of everything you possibly can at 9 to 5 into work. 0% every other hour of the day. When I'm on the bike, on the run, or in the water, or swimming, it's 100% focused on that. Cle clears your mind. When I'm when I'm doing wine tasting and you know doing all that kind of stuff and the studying there, I'm 100% focused on that. And it it kind of allows you to just kind of let go. And you know you come back, you're good to go. If you're working 12 hours a day and you go to bed thinking about it, you got your Slack messages dinging, and you wake up at two o'clock in the morning, check your Slack messages. Which I've done that before because I've had global teams who are. So the slack's always going off. Um, you know, it can really quickly burn yourself out. And 
that's your fault. I see most burnout is actually the fault of the individual more so than the company. Like nobody's forcing you to work 12 hours, especially if you're like somebody like you or, or myself who just like really, really love our, our, our job. It's super easy to do it. doesn't feel like you're going to burn out. And then suddenly one day you're just like, whoa. So yeah, focus 100% on what you're doing. For me, it's triathlon and, 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 and wine and stuff, of course, right tie with the family. But, um, you know, that's that's what I would say. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Totally aligned with you. I think to be able to be 100% at the job, you have to go to 0% all those other hours. I like that a lot. So the final section, I open it up. If you have like a newsletter, anything you want to plug, this would be uh, your chance. Oh, follow me on LinkedIn. Um, Adam Shaw. Uh, actually, let me tell you exactly what my LinkedIn like handle is here. I think it's Adam Shaw STL. Um, yep, Adam Shaw STL on uh, TikTok. It's at OMG. It's Adam Shaw um, I've got a couple of things coming up. That'll be kind of exciting. Um, speaking of newsletters and podcasts and things like that, I'll have some stuff coming out here pretty soon. Um, so follow me, check it out, comment on my stuff. I really like, I actually like, I, I put posts on LinkedIn because I want to have conversations with people. So come have a conversation with me on my posts. <laughs> awesome. And that'll all be linked in the, uh, show notes as well, the TikTok and the LinkedIn. Well, thank you, man, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And this was a fun conversation. I learned a lot.